You said that Luke gave you your start. What do you mean? Can you Luke tell us that story? Luke gave me when I first, okay, when I got out, I, got, I went to prison twice before I was 20. When I got out, I said, I can't sell cocaine no more. I can't stay in these streets because my attitude fucked up. This is Trick Daddy. Trick grew up in Liberty City going to the Pack Jam and listening to the two live crew. He says that he got his start in the rap game thanks to Luke. One day Trick was listening to the radio when an announcement came on. Luke was holding a talent contest looking for new MCs. The winner would get a contract at Luke Records. And it's all going down at the Pack Jam, 8400 Northeast Second Ave. I'm like, what? I gotta, I'm gonna whoop that shit. So Trick put on his best outfit and headed over to the Pack Jam knowing that this could be his big break. So I go in the pack jam, and I'm rapping. When I first opened my mouth on stage, the crowd was like, what the fuck? Like, you hear this nigga voice? You hear this nigga delivery? Trick made it all the way to the finals, where he faced his last opponent. This Haitian named Red Eyes. And, I mean, and that nigga had as much as lyrics as I had. We were going back to back to back to back, back to back. Trick was dropping all his best shit, trying to prove to the Pac Jam crowd that he was a top MC in Liberty City. I used to like to make gun sound, the car sound, the shit the Migos do, I always did that. You know what I'm saying? Fire, fire, and bang, bang. I don't mumble, jumble, and put words in. Anybody want motherfucker die? Come see I, who, me, T, double D, nigga. That ain't number 12 words. Yeah. <laughs> but it sound like 30. Trick's battle with Red Eyes was neck and neck. So Luke decided to let the crowd choose the winner. Some of the Showtime at Apollo type shit. Luke's like, who got Red Eyes? A lot of people stood up and cheered. Then he's like, who got Trick Daddy? The crowd went berserk. And the crowd picked me over. So Trick wins the competition. But the prize that was supposed to come along with that victory a contract with Luke Records, it never materialized. Not because Luke didn't see the rapper's potential. Not because he wasn't certain that this guy can make hits. Nah, Luke didn't sign Trick Daddy because he couldn't. In 1995, Luke Records was on the brink of bankruptcy. Everything that Luke Campbell had built, it was all about to crumble. On this episode of Mogul, things fall apart. After they won their obscenity trial in 1990, Luke Campbell and the Two Live crew went back to work. They released two new albums, Band in the USA and a sequel to As Nasty as They Wanna Be, called Sports Weekend. But the band only really made headline news again when they faced another legal battle. This time it wasn't for dirty lyrics or an obscene performance. It was for taking this, Roy Orbison's 1964 classic, Oh Pretty Woman, Pretty Woman. Walking down the street, pretty woman. And turning it into this. Roy 
Roy Orbison's estate wasn't happy. They said that this was copyright infringement. Luke Campbell argued otherwise. He said that the two live crew song was a parody. So there he was, back in the spotlight, fighting for freedom of speech. Again. Uh, parodies are protected by the First Amendment. If we were to lose this case, I mean, nobody can imitate the president anymore. You know, Weird Al Alcovest, he couldn't do what he does anymore. I mean, Saturday Night Live will be off the air, no more. We're going to pave the way for everybody else, like we always do. Go into court and fight everybody, and everybody else can start doing more parodies. The copyright case was heard in front of the Supreme Court in 1994, and Luke Records was victorious. The justices unanimously ruled that the two live crew's version of Pretty Woman was parody not an unfair use of copyrighted material. Once again, Luke had come out on top. But he wasn't going to stay there for much longer. When you look back at old news footage of this case, something stands out. None of the other members of the Two Live crew are there. It's just Luke. Mix, Ice, and Marquise are nowhere to be seen. That's because around the time all this was going down, the Two Live crew were on the outs. You know, the funniest thing about it is, is that Nobody in the group really knew, knew each other. That's Mr. Mix. That's why I guess why we had all separate friends and separate hangouts and different things. But the music is the one thing that we clicked on and, and had fun with each other and this, that, and other. That's the most we know about each other is making the records. You know, I don't even know if everybody even know whose birthday is when. None of our kids know each other hardly. Ridiculous, right? You would never think that that would be the case. Yeah, yeah. you know, because when you hear the music, you just hear these, you know, three, four guys coming together and making these classics. <laughs> it's, it's like four people coming to a meeting place, do what they do, and then they go back to their respective corners. It's funny. And uh, towards the end, yeah, we didn't really get along. We just was working together. Yep, in the and coming up towards the end, yeah, we couldn't stand each other. That's Brother Marquise. Marquise had issues with Luke in particular. He didn't like the way Luke had become the figurehead for the group, when it was Marquise, Mix, and Ice who made the majority of the music. That all came to a head when the Band in the USA album dropped in 1990. That album was made the same way all the crew's music was made. Mix making the beats, Ice and Marquise writing the lyrics, and Luke shouting the hooks. But when that album was released, Luke was the only one on the cover. You see him stood in front of an American flag, mean mugging. Next to him, in big blocky yellow letters, it says, The Luke LP. And below that, in a much smaller font, it says, Featuring the Two Live Crew. I hated that album. How come? Because, because at that point, it was like, okay, Luke Skywalker featuring the Two Live Crew, and there was a lot of fuckery going on with that album. They were trying to force, they were forcing us to do it, forcing me to do it, and... Yeah, I didn't like that album. We didn't get paid nothing on that album. Nothing. Nothing on that album. Well, who didn't give us anything. Why? I don't know. It was greedy. According to Fresh Kid Ice, he and Mix and Marquise made less than 10 grand off a record that eventually went gold. Because of shit like that and disputes over contracts, in 1991, the band broke up. You know, you guys spent so much time together and went through a lot, not just creating music, but literally fighting the government. You know, after you split, um, did you miss Luke and the guys and what you guys had created? 
I never, I never miss Luke. Uh, I never miss Luke. I miss like Mr. Mix more than anybody, but not Luke, not Luke. Luke was always kind of, he was always shady to me. He was always shady. Didn't seem like a straight up dude. And, you know, we were down there in Miami, you know, by ourselves. You know, he took advantage of that. He took advantage of that. And we let him, and I let him, and I let him. Yep, he took advantage of that. Brother Marquise isn't the only artist on Luke Records to say that they were shortchanged by Luke. A lot of people say that Luke never gave them their fair share of royalties. He he, he was a, he was a a genius, a marketing genius, I think. You know, creative and moving the product, but he thought all the money was his. Mm. You, you get what I'm saying? Like, no, player. That's JT Money. His group Poison Clan was signed to Luke Records. He says he was paid like he was being given an allowance. You know, still young at the time. I don't know. You know, give me 30, 50 grand. I'm happy. You know, yeah. Give me 10,000. I'm happy. Plenty of people were happy until they realized how much money their albums had made. In some cases, it was millions of dollars. So some artists started to demand a bigger share of the profits. And that was the beginning of the end for Luke Records. MC Shy D was a rapper signed to the label in the late 80s. He released two albums and took Luke to court over unpaid royalties. A judge ruled in Shy D's favor, awarding him a total of $1.6 million. In 1995, Luke went bankrupt. He lost his yacht. He lost the nightclub he owned. And he lost Luke Records. And that included the entire Two Live Crew back catalog. Some people say that Luke had it coming, that he'd been screwing people over for years. But JT Money told me that he didn't see it like that. He just thought that Luke fucked up. It was a Tupac line, picture jewels being handed to an innocent child. Like, he don't even know what he got. So he don't know how to handle it. You, you understand? Like, he, he be sitting up playing with gold and diamonds, but he don't know the value of them. After the bankruptcy, Luke started over. He set up a new record label and released solo music. But he also started to branch out into other forms of entertainment. Luther Campbell hosts Luke's Peep Show. Tune into action pay-per-view for never-before-seen music videos. That's after the break. In the late 90s, the video franchise Girls Gone Wild appeared. Luke saw its success and wanted to get in on it. So he started to release his own wild X-rated videos. Luther Campbell hosts Luke's Peep Show. Tune into action pay-per-view for never-before-seen music videos. This promo features lots of close-ups of women in bikinis. They're unrated, uncensored, and unavailable anywhere else. And the promise was that if you tuned into action pay-per-view, you'd see a whole lot more. Luther Campbell hosts Luke's Peep Show, playing exclusively on Action Pay-Per-View. The plan was for Luke to reinvent himself as a sort of black Hugh Hefner, to go from being the king of dirty rap to the king of dirty videos. Luke's releases had titles like Luke's Peep Show and Luke's Freak Show. They were a crazy mix of music videos, interviews with famous rappers, and straight-up porn. 
In one infamous clip still circulating online, a young Jay-Z is being interviewed by Luke. While on the couch, literally right next to them, one woman performs oral sex on another. Hey, Jay-Z in the house. You having a ball over here? Yeah, yeah. Y'all welcome my man Jay-Z to the show. What up, what up? A lot of the stuff in these videos came from Luke's live shows. By now, he had strippers performing with him on stage. And there was no longer any pretense that these shows were about music. It was all about sex. Sex in front of a live audience. Luke talks about this stage of his career in an audiobook he released called My Life in Freaky Times. Before I play this clip, a quick warning. Luke's about to get really graphic here. One night I just fuck it. All you niggas in the house, how many of y'all want to get your dick sucked? And I would bring them niggas on the stage and we would play the slow music. They'll sit on that goddamn chair and they play that music, the caper. And all that kind of shit like that there. And them motherfucking hoes be sitting on there. So they put a nigga in the chair and they slip a nigga pants down. They go to sucking them niggas dick and then they flip backwards. And them niggas be eating their pussy while they sucking their dicks backwards. You ain't never seen nothing like it in your fucking life. Throughout his career, Lucas justified his annex. The lyrics that describe women as bitches and hoes, the violent sexual imagery, the pornographic stage performances, he says it's all just part of an act, that he's just creating a fantasy. But this fantasy world, some people say it has real-life consequences. Late in the reporting process for this show, we found some information about Luke. An in-depth record search turned up multiple police reports containing allegations made against him. And a warning here, we're about to discuss allegations of sexual violence and domestic abuse. In 2002, a woman who attended one of Luke's freak shows reported to the police that she was sexually assaulted by Luke's dancers. On stage in front of a cheering audience, she was penetrated with a beer bottle. And then she said she was forced to sign a release so that Luke could use the footage in one of his videos. The police dismissed her claims and charged her with filing a false police report. But the woman, who has remained anonymous, brought a civil case against Luke. Luke never showed up to the hearing, and the judge ruled in the woman's favor. Luke was ordered to pay over $10 million in damages. But the money was never paid. A new judge was assigned. The case dragged on and on, and eventually, the woman dropped the case. Throughout all of this, Luke maintained that he did nothing wrong. But this is far from the only allegation against him. Other women have told the police that Luke hurt them. In 1994, Luke's girlfriend called the police and accused Luke of threatening her with a gun. I've seen the police report. In it, Luke's girlfriend claims that he said, quote, I swear on my mother, I will kill you and dump you in a lake somewhere. After this incident, Luke was taken into custody and his gun was impounded. In a separate incident, the same girlfriend reported to the police that Luke struck her and pushed her around, causing her to fall on the ground. Ten years later, in 2004, another one of Luke's partners went to the police and said that he had been violent towards her. Ultimately, none of these cases ever went to court, and Luke was never convicted of anything. When we learned about these allegations, we contacted Luke to ask about them, but he did not respond. It's unclear how many people know about these accusations. And back in Liberty City, 
Lucas worked hard to cultivate a very different image. The image of someone who never forgot where he came from, who stayed loyal to his community. In the early 2000s, Luke founded a series of football programs with the aim of keeping local kids off the streets and out of trouble. I thank Luke for starting this program. I played in this program. I came up out of this neighborhood. It saved me. It saved my generation. It's a big step leading these kids in the right generation. And I want to thank him and I respect him for everything that he's gave back to the neighborhood. That's the thing with Luke. There are these dichotomies. Sometimes he seems like two people in one. His reputation in hip-hop is complicated as well. The Two Life Crew's music is significant, but none of their records stand in the pantheon of great hip-hop albums. It's often dismissed as party rap, and because of that, not everyone takes the group seriously. Lucas often complained that his contributions to music have been overlooked, that the industry has shunned him because he made his money off of booty-shaking music. But in 2017, it seemed like Luke was finally going to get his flowers. That year, BT honored his achievements at their annual hip-hop award show. Watch footage of that night, and you see Luke going up to accept his award from fellow Miami icons, DJ Khaled and Rick Ross. Luke is dressed in a bow tie, suit jacket, and jeans. Next to Khaled and Ross in their designer jean jackets and bombers, he looks a little out of place, or as if he's from another time. As soon as he launched into his speech, it was clear he had some scores to settle. 35 years in this business, ain't nobody never honored me for shit. We got kicked off stage because they said we did booty music, say we won hip hop. They told us the South would not be what it is today, and I told them, y'all. <laughs> then after that, I gotta go fight the law for free speech. I gotta take all my money and I gotta put my money into doing what? Going to the Supreme Court, fighting for hip hop. Still ain't getting no credit, still ain't getting no call for nothing. I took my first check 35 years ago, bought my mama a house. My second check, I started my youth program. You would think they would call and say, Luke, you're doing this philanthropical shit. They ain't called because they wanted me to be hidden. I'm going to say this shit right here today. I started hip-hop in the South. Thank my mom, thank God, thank everybody. I appreciate it. Later on that night, Luke came back up on stage to perform. He slipped a Miami Hurricanes jacket over his dress shirt and bow tie and grabbed the mic. Luke ran through a medley of his biggest hits. He was joined on stage by Trina, Trick Daddy, Flo Rida, Rick Ross, and even Cardi B comes up on stage to dance with him. At the end of the set, everyone gathers around Luke as fake money falls from the ceiling, strobe lights flash, and bomb sound effects drop. He looks totally at home up there. Of course he does. Lucas always knows how to give the audience what they want. Like everyone keeps telling us, he's a marketing genius. For a long time, Luke was marketing himself as a champion of free speech. And that's not bullshit. The cases he fought and won, 
they're a big deal. Then he rebranded as a guy who gives back to the community, who helps kids live out their football dreams. And that's true too. Walk around Liberty City and you'll find no shortage of people who praise Luke for the work he's done there. At the BET Awards, he sold himself hard as a visionary of Southern hip hop and he received a standing ovation. But there's clearly some stuff going on behind the curtain. Sure, a lot of people have love for Luke, but there are others who say that he screwed artists out of money, that he was violent towards the women he dated, that he may have had a vision for hip hop, but it was a vision that made things worse for women, that framed them as sexual objects and nothing more. It's possible for all those things to be true at once. Luke's legacy, it's complicated. But whether you think he changed hip hop for the better or whether you think he changed it for the worse, one thing's for sure, he did change it. days, Luke is still releasing new music. He recently dropped a single called Bad Girl Walk. Luke's former Two Live Crew bandmate, Brother Marquise, is also working on new material. Uh, well, we got some, some Miami-based stuff that sounds close to the signature, signature sound, and we got some different stuff, too. I'll let you hear it. You give me your opinion. Fresh Kid Ice passed away in 2017. He's seen by many as the first mainstream Asian-American rapper and his contributions to hip-hop are memorialized in a mural painted on a wall in Wynwood. It shows ice in front of a stack of speakers, with a pair of wings and a halo above his head. Mr. Mix is still touring and producing records. He told me that unlike Luke, he's not a super recognizable figure. People can't pick him out of a crowd. But the sound he built? It's still out there today. When you look at the hip-hop scene now, what do you see that makes you say, yeah, that's, that's because of me? All of the records that I hear using the 808. <laughs> word, word. We're definitely the um, blueprint, not only for Miami, but for the whole southern part of the United States, for sure. We might be done with the story of the Two Live Crew, but the story of Miami hip-hop doesn't end here. Next time on Mogul, we hear about a musical renegade who used pirate radio to make his own mark on Miami. On my station, we were even having sex on the air if we wanted to. If I had to take a dump and I was on the radio station, I go take a dump, pee, I'm holding the mic. Hey, hold up, man, I got to... Yep, this shit is real, I'm taking a dump. You guys know it, let me flush. I just kept it real. can't wait for next week's episode to drop don't worry you can now stream the entire season for free exclusively on spotify search for mogul inside the spotify app and hit the follow button mogul is a production of spotify and gimlet media this episode is produced by wallace mack and saeed tijan thomas with help from gabby bulgarelli our senior producer is matthew nelson our editors are lynn levy caitlin kenny and chris morrow sound design and mixing by Haley shaw Music supervision by Matthew Boll and Liz Fulton. Theme music and scoring by So Wiley. Our credits music is by Prince Paul and Don Newkirk. 
follow us on Twitter for all the latest news and a behind-the-scenes look at the making of the show. Our handle is at Mogul.